University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. In March, Jennifer went with me to Seattle for a pastor's conference, and if you've never been to Seattle before, it's a beautiful melting pot of, of culture, and this spills over into the food options in the city, and we were told we need to go to a place called uh, Porosky Porosky's. It's a, a bakery right near uh, Pike Market, and standing outside the bakery, you are knocked over by the smells of apple cinnamon rolls and chocolate cream hazelnut rolls and apricot turnovers. But the best thing that you could possibly buy there is a pierogi. And not just a, just a standard pierogi, this is a smoked salmon pierogi. Just imagine for just a second, you're right near where the freshest salmon is being caught. Just even talking about it, the saliva in my mouth, it's, it's flowing like the Mississippi. Imagine a, 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 a warm pie, and inside the warm pie is smoked salmon and cream cheese and a dash of dill and onions. It's filled with so much goodness. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that Christ's desire to fill us with so much goodness. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians in which he challenged them to fill their lives with kindness and goodness and grace and forbearance and joy and love and unity. And each week, we are taking time to examine each of these qualities and consider what it looks like to allow Christ to fill our lives and for us to fill the lives of others with Christ's goodness. At the same time, we've issued a bucket challenge. We've given you these little buckets, and we're challenging you to not just forget about them, but to carry them with you wherever you go. And if you don't have a bucket, we've got them down front. We've got them on your way out this morning. Hopefully, you're carrying those around with you. Paul begins in Colossians 3.12 by writing, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness. Words are significant. Take, for example, the word kindness in Colossians. Uh, Greek is such a fascinating language, and this word is used and translated in so many different ways. You might see it translated as kindness, other times as goodness, other times as excellence, and it's used interchangeably. In some places other in the New Testament where Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Or Jesus uses this word in the parable of the sheep and the goats in which Jesus said that the servant is called good because he saw the naked and clothed them. He saw the hungry and gave them something to eat. He saw the stranger and welcomed them in. In Luke, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And in response to being asked what good thing a person must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell his possessions, to give the money to the poor, and then follow Jesus. So what is kindness and goodness? Well, from the lips of Jesus, it's, it's a life that produces fruit. It's, it's caring for the needs around you. It's loving those who, who hate you. It's giving away to those who have nothing. 
So that doesn't exactly narrow it down on what goodness and kindness looks like. Jesus says this is a product of our, of our lives, out of our soul. The Hebrew, Hebrews has a word for this. It's the, the Hebrew word is chesed. Yes, listen for that, chesed. And it's also translated in a couple different ways. It's also chesed and hesed and other forms of it. So that's why you learn that I love Greek much more than I love translating Hebrew. It's a complicated language. But this word hesed is used 248 times in the Old Testament, and 127 of those times comes from the book of Psalms alone. Listen to this. But I have trusted your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 17, 7, wondrous shows your loving kindness, our Savior, to those who take refuge at your right hand, those who are upright. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so you can hear the psalmist is is trying to describe not only the attributes of God, but God's attributes to God's people. The word is best translated as kindness or goodness, or as you heard it, loving kindness. And in July, the Ecuador team uh, had a bit of an adventurous day on one of our particular days. We rode the bus as normal, and then we got out of the bus into the back of an industrial truck. And for the next hour and a half, uh, we reached 14,000 feet above sea level, and we saw the most marvelous views. We saw lush agricultural fields. We saw waving grass, blowing winds on top of the mountain. Then we experienced the leeward side of the mountain that tended to have less vegetation. It's rockier. It's, it's a drier climate. And at some point, you could look out, and it felt like you could see for hundreds of miles. It was so beautiful. And I, I remember trying to take so many pictures, and then I got back to the hotel that night, and I started looking back at my pictures And it's like the pictures couldn't justify what I was experiencing. It couldn't capture it. See, I think what the biblical writers are trying to do as they talk about kindness and goodness, they're trying in the best way they possibly can in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. They're trying to find multiple words to capture what goodness and kindness looks like. It's a fascinating and vibrant term. It's a, it's a fascinating thing that we're called to do in our lives. It's talking about the excellence and essence of kindness and goodness. And the best way the biblical writers have been able to capture such words is through story. And one particular story that sticks out to me that this word hesed is used multiple times is, do you remember the story of Ruth? There once was a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they had two sons in Bethlehem except a famine came and they had to go to another land. They went to the land of Moab, where they were strangers and foreigners. They were hated among the people. And while they were in Moab, the two sons married two women. Except something strange happens, and Elimelech and his two sons die. And there, Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. But she hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem, and so she has to make a decision to stay in a land where she's a stranger, where she has no more societal rights, because in that day and age, to have no husband, you were nothing in that day. And so she chooses to go back home. Except she faced with her two daughters-in-laws a very difficult question that they had to ask themselves. Do they abandon their mother-in-law and stay in the land of, of their forefathers where they could marry again, they could have children, they could continue in the roles that was expected of them, or they could go back home with her into unforeseeable future? 
And we learn that one of the daughters-in-law chooses to go home, but for Ruth, she chose something different. And I love this exchange where Ruth declares to her mother-in-law, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. See, Ruth chooses to do what's astounding, what's unusual, what's scary, and, and she ventures home with Naomi. And when they get back to Bethlehem, they, they find that it's harvest time and they have no food to eat. And so by the law of Moses, she was allowed to go out to the fields to pick up a few things that were left up by the harvesters. And there a man named Boaz sees her and instructs his workers to leave more grain for her to be able to pick up and, and provide for her family. This story is, of Ruth is a story of, of goodness and kindness. It's experienced through Ruth's dedication of loving kindness to Naomi, a woman that she could have abandoned and restarted her life with someone else, yet she chose out of the goodness of her heart to follow Naomi to a distant land and to care for her. Loving kindness is showed through Boaz, who sees the plight of both of these women who went beyond his religious and societal obligations to show authentic and tangible kindness. You see, the Hebrew tradition is the bedrock of the Christian faith, and the concept of hesed, of loving kindness, is the foundation of this faith practiced. And, and linguistically, as you compare the words used in the Old Testament, hesed is used 248 times. That's compared to offering that's used 211 times, the word commandment that's used 184 times, the word sacrifice that's used 162 times, the word righteousness that's used 159 times, the word wisdom that's used 140 49 times, and the word Sabbath is used 111 times. What we get from this is Hesed is a big deal. As one of the rabbis of the Talmud wrote, the Torah, the law, begins with and ends with Hesed. You see, through the acts of Hesed, the it's a support of acts of justice where we treat other people as if they are the image of God. We, we treat people with respect and, and with dignity. Out of, out of hesed, a stigma of poverty and frailty and disease and loneliness can, can then turn someone who is engaged and empowered, who is welcomed back into the community. You see, Jesus told a story very similar to this. It went something like this. A man was going from New Orleans to Slidell, when he was set upon him by a charter group of white supremacists who recognized him as a former white supremacist and stripped him and beat him and left him naked and with nothing. Now, chance would happen that a prominent evangelical church pastor came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side because he didn't want to be associated with such a person. Likewise, a well-known politician who came and saw him in the place, passed by on the other side of the road for the exact same reason. But then a refugee, a Muslim who journeyed, came and saw him and had compassion on him. He went to him and called an ambulance and rode with him on the ambulance to the hospital. And when the victim discovered that he had no insurance whatsoever, the man took out his checkbook and paid for his entire medical bill. This is a, a modern retelling that might set us back, but it is an exact historical parallel to what Jesus told in his day as he said that a vile and disgusting Samaritan stopped and cared for this Jewish man. 
You see, when Jesus told this story originally, it was offensive. It was revolutionary. Jesus uses key terms like Levite, saying that a religious leader who knew better chose to go on the other side, but at the same time, his religion justified not having kindness on this man because he didn't need to become ritualistically unclean. You see, the deep challenge here is that Jesus is calling people to look and to care for our neighbors. And neighbor doesn't necessarily mean a friend or someone we know next door. In, in the Hebrew tradition, neighbor meant that you saw someone else as an equal, on the same level as us. And Jesus begins this story by being asked, who is my neighbor? Now, Samaritans were not Jews. Jews were viewed as apostate. They were people who were set apart and, and disgusting to the Hebrew people. And so yet Jesus uses a Samaritan of all people as the central figure of this story to show that kindness and goodness can come out of all people. See, what Jesus is doing out of the parable of the Good Samaritan is deconstructing the notion that kindness and goodness are fixed visages of certain groups of people. The Samaritan of all types of people was the personification of the essence of God, Jesus says in this story. What Jesus is doing is tearing down the established appearance that, that to be religious means that we are a person of kindness. Or to be of a certain race, we are a person of goodness. Or to be a person of a certain political leaning, we are a person of loving kindness. That's not where kindness and goodness come from. Kindness and goodness are not fixed visages of certain groups of people. Aslim Sarah uh, Sikaik is a, uh, is a uh, Dutch parliament person of from 2007 to 2015, and she was the first of her kind in Denmark because she was the first Muslim immigrant to be elected into office into her country. And immediately, her mailbox, when she went into office, was filled with the vilest of hate letters. And she said that she just daily, routinely clicked and deleted, as most of us would do, until one of her coworkers said to her, you shouldn't delete those emails. It'll make it easier to track down leads when they either kidnap or kill you. So she decided to do something different. Instead of mindlessly deleting these vile dispatches of hatred, she began to respond to these emails by inviting the senders out for coffee. The first response she got was from a man who said to her, well, let, let me first go ask my wife first. So even xenophobic men know who the real boss is in the family. <laughs> Hundreds of dialogues over coffee later, Aslam concluded that the most powerful force to disarm hate is kindness. Her story raises some difficult questions to us about what gets in the way of kindness. For a while, someone like Aslam had, had a legitimate fear that, that, that this hatred being dispelled to her could lead to physical violence against herself and her family. Fear of, of others, fear of what-ifs, fear of uncertainty often goes in the way of kindness being produced in our life towards other people. 
Every day you and I interact with the medium of media, and whether it be the newspaper or news channels or news apps or social media, did you know that the forms of media that, that are, are, are built on the financial foundation of negativity? In fact, a 30-year-plus study conducted by the Pew Research found that 90% of what we hear in the news is negative because bad news is good news for the financial well-being of news outlets. In fact, a recent survey found that readers and watchers and listeners of negative news have leading causes of stress in America. Researchers found that there is a negative impact on media outlets when they start to cover positive media around us. But a study found that, that negativity has such a deep impact in our life, it, it produces a distrust of others, it has psychological problems in which we view other people in the world. Needless to say, negativity gets in the way of kindness. However, quite possibly the most challenging hindrance to kindness is pride. But pride masks itself within kindness, such as extending kindness in order for us to receive uh, a thanks from some other people. Kindness often comes when we feel safe, safe with the person, safe with the circumstances. When kindness is, is met with ingratitude, sometimes we typically will, will no longer be willing to serve someone else because we did not receive the gratitude we thought we should receive. Yet the essence of kindness and goodness expressed through thoughts and words and actions towards others is grounded in a, a genuine love and care for others despite others. And we're reminded from Jesus' ministry this fascinating way that Jesus showed us a new way of thinking and living to be lived out through our thoughts and our words and our actions towards others. Do you remember when Jesus encountered Levi, a tax collector? Here's quite possibly the most despicable man in his region Yet Jesus saw through Levi and chose to see him as a child of God and showed goodness to him in his life. Except when Jesus dined with Levi, some of the religious leaders were indignant and couldn't hold it in any longer. It began to berate Jesus for eating with such a despicable man. And Jesus' response out of goodness tells them that God desires to help the sick by finding healing. In another instance, Jesus showed kindness for the Pharisees by sharing a meal with them. And at the meal, a woman came and began to, began to bless Jesus. And this woman had a bad reputation in town. The Pharisees can't get past who she is and show kindness to her. You see, Jesus' kindness was expressed through the meals that he shared with both the religious and their so-called heretics the outwardly righteous and their so-called unrighteous, the insiders and outsiders, the marginalized and those who put them there. You see, what we see through the life and teachings and ministry and invitation of Jesus is the essence of goodness and kindness. With, with each encounter, Jesus' goodness radically changed lives. Those who resisted his goodness ended up being the people who murdered him out of their pride, motivated by their negative perspectives, what Jesus' teaching and his ways was doing to their religious perspectives, to their worldview, to their economics, to their politics, and to their way of life. Yet Jesus models to us the effects that goodness and kindness have towards the outcast towards the marginalized, the unwanted, the suffering, the grieving, the lost, the broken, the unrighteous, the prideful, the hate-filled, and the fearful. There is a ripple effect 
when kindness and goodness is produced out of our lives into the people we encounter. Kindness and goodness releases the soul from bondage. It brings light into darkness, compassion into hurting, peace into violence, and hope into fear. Psychologically, kindness and goodness are are, are a way of, of replicating itself, not only in our lives, but to those who are receiving it. Experts have found that the power of goodness and kindness literally rewire our brain and how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see others. You see, kindness and goodness are not ill or guilt-motivated acts of service, but a deeply felt expression of our inner essence of God's redemption within us. And this is expressed by the way that we think and the way that we talk and the way that we interact with others. And through kindness and goodness of God, others that encounter us, they gather the essence of God within their lives. When we begin to live out this way, it has a ripple effect in our lives and the lives of others. In November, uh, Tom Hanks will star as Mr. Rogers in a movie called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And for over three decades, Fred Rogers was the creator and host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was a beloved show for many of us, uh, whether we were children who watched it or whether you were a parent who had a child who watched it. Mr. Rogers was not the best singer. He, he was not the best puppeteer when you compare him to his, his contemporaries like Jim Henson. The acting was, was subpar. But what some saw within Mr. Rogers was this, this genuine overflow of love and kindness. Mr. Rogers saw grace and niceness as a, as a strength, not a weakness. You don't realize until you begin to take in who this person was, how rare and how diluted that is in our world today. You see, Rogers had a clear worldview in which he grew up knowing and believing that each person deserves dignity and respect, knowing that they are a beloved child of God. This vision is still there, and it's waiting for us to hold on to it if we're strong enough to believe in it. A century contemporary wrote, treat others who are good with goodness and also treat those who are not good with goodness. Thus, goodness is attained. This is the invitation for us to live out the way of Jesus by allowing Christ to fill our buckets, to fill our lives with goodness and kindness. And in turn, as we experience the true goodness of God, we are called to go out and to fill others' lives, other people's buckets with goodness. Paul calls this in Titus the most excellent way.